Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Okay, hello. Welcome to Basic Folk. I'm Cindy House. Um, you know that. You know what you're listening to. Okay, today, excited to bring you a really fun conversation I had with Matt Lorenz, who is a one-man band. He goes by the name The Suitcase Junket. And uh, what's great about Matt is that he loves garbage, which is... <laughs> It's not a really typical show if you ever get a chance to see the Suitcase Junket uh, perform or watch videos because Matt's like, all of his instruments are from the garbage. It started with um, his guitar, which he found in a dumpster, and then it just sort of snowballed from there. It's pretty incredible to watch him play. Uh, and I guess his affinity for taking things apart started when he was little and he convinced the babysitter to take apart the telephone. I convinced the babysitter when I was, I must have been like six or seven years old, that it was okay to take apart the phone because we had two phones, you know. But yeah, so we took apart the phone. My parents were like, okay, this kid's got a problem. Let's just like let him take home one thing from the dump every time we go to the dump. So I would paw through the electronics pile and bring home something to take apart. I had a I had a blast talking to Matt Lorenz. Um, I, I feel like he's just like the type of guy who is, is just really funny, really sharp, um, and, and shared a lot of really cool, interesting stuff. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Matt Lorenz of the Suitcase Junket. Okay. Tap my foot the whole time. Don't tap your foot. It's the worst, right? Yeah, <laughs> when somebody taps their foot. Um, okay, Matt Lorenz, mm-hmm. thank you so much for talking to me. Thanks for taking the time. Sure. Um, so you're a Vermont native. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you were raised by school teachers. Yep. So I'm wondering what kind of school teachers we're my, my dad was uh, elementary school and then a principal for many years. You were the principal's kid. Never, I never went to his school, though. But still. But still, yeah, I was a principal's kid. And my mom, she did a bunch of different things over the years. And primarily for when I was in from second grade to seventh grade, she was homeschooling my sister and I um, because the, we lived in a really small town, 500 people in rural Vermont, and... Basically, she went and did some action research. She went undercover, worked in our school for like as an aide for like a couple of years, and kind of realized that some of the teachers that we were about to get were a little bit old, stick in the mud. Like I literally got in trouble for drawing outside of the lines, kind of teachers. Whoa! So we got they make the left-handed kids. Oh yeah, right, right. For real? Yeah, they yeah, did? yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, that wow. was. Uh, yep. Well, Mrs. Davis did. Jeez. Mrs. Davis. <laughs> she was she was a tough nut. 
And so we got homeschooled for a while, still did. Was it public school that this was happening in? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it was the one school in town. You know, it's a little, a little, a little spot, and you know they were they'd been there forever, so that was the way they did it. So we got pulled out for regular classes and still went to the public school for music and sports. Okay, yeah. So I'm wondering about like the the music that was happening in your family. Your sister is a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, your parents musical? Not per se. They didn't play, but they were really big music fans. And so there was always music in the house. And as soon as my sister and I showed the least sort of kind of propensity for playing music, they, you know, got a free piano from, you know, wherever you did those days, the bulletin board. I don't know where they... Probably you know. the uh, the penny saver. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was no Craigslist. Right. Yet. But there was still a lot of free pianos. Yeah. So we got one of those. Kate got some lessons. I started copying her, you know, and so we sort of started like that. And my parents just introduced us to a lot of music. They're, you know, in rural Vermont, there wasn't a ton of stuff coming through town, but whatever there was, you know, we would travel fairly far afield to to soak up, you know, whatever kind of culture we could find. Yeah, I've heard that you started taking piano lessons because of your sister. But tell yeah. me more about your experience with music lessons. Like, did you you started with piano lessons, mm-hmm. but did you learn an instrument um, at the public school? Yeah, yeah, they had a good music teacher there, and uh I wanted to play saxophone. I can't remember why. Because everybody did. I guess. Was that it? It was yeah. just like the thing. That was the instrument. It was like a zeitgeist. Too many sax players play and something then, else. I know. And then meanwhile, like the saxophone was essentially being ruined in pop music, you know, during that time. What you know? time period is this? Well, this is like the 80s, you mm-hmm. know? So like Billy Joel did a number on it, quite honestly, you know? <laughs> and then you got Kenny G. I mean... It couldn't get That's less a okay. Soprano saxophone. Though. Yeah, but it's the same family. Yeah. I mean, I got into jazz later, and it made sense. But after the piano, for some reason, they made me learn the violin before the saxophone. And this was like, I think, a rule that the music teacher made. So, in third grade, I started playing violin. Mm-hmm. Played it for a few years. They did that in my public school too. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean. I don't know. I guess make, I'm glad they did it because I think I learned more about music by learning other ways of playing music. Did the violin make sense to you as a third grader? Slowly, I, I got it. I I got pretty frustrated by it and didn't love it and put it down for many many years. And then later on in life, I picked it up again, and now it's great because I have sort of a bike riding sensibility on it. But uh, you know. Not too many obstacles that some people picked up doing the Suzuki method, which is what I was learning. And sort of takes you down what I guess ends up being kind of a strict path. But I got out of it early enough that it basically just taught me some good ear learning, you know, skills. And then picking it back up was sort of like, oh, now it's just fun. You know, I like just scratching away at this fiddle. Right. Yeah, I get that. For sure. Um, So your sister Kate Mm. is musical as well, and you're in a band with her that is on kind of a little bit of a hiatus, yeah. Rusty Bell. Yep. Um, I'm So I could ask a number of questions about Rusty Bell, but I'm wondering, do you play garbage instruments in that band as well? Yeah, I mean, that band was, I had traveled for a year with a friend of mine after college, and then my sister and I had been, had been talking about starting a band for years and years and years. So when that sort of trip finally fizzled out, you know, which, yeah, it was a whole run-out-of-money story for another time. I moved back to the Massachusetts area where I'd gone to college. My sister was still there. We started the band, and it, Rusty Bell started out 
similarly to where the suitcase junket is, you know, so a pile of random instruments. You know, in the early days, I was playing guitar, but also I had a a one string uh, wash. It wasn't a wash tub. It was like a crutch and a medicine cabinet base. Um, we traveled with a five gallon metal bucket filled with broken glass that you churned like butter. That seems safe. <laughs> right? Just throw that in the back seat. Um, yeah, not to mention during the show, you know, when shards would fly. So there was like, it was a, started off very experimental and then sort of morphed into more of uh, something folk, country, rock, three-part harmony based, a little bit more standard, you know, normalized a little bit. So let's back up a little bit about... <laughs> yeah. When you so I just jumped right into the garbage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Why not? Why not? Um, when you were a kid, you started tinkering with things around your parents' house, mm. and tell me how they reacted to that. Oh yeah, the, I liked taking things apart and would just sort of do it. And uh, VCR, you know, I remember one. I convinced the babysitter when I was I must have been like six or seven years old that it was okay to take apart the phone because we had two phones you know one upstairs one downstairs you don't need two right it's fine and he was I mean he was a teenage boy <laughs> when I think back on it like of course he didn't care it's like sure let's take it apart he was also that same babysitter was the one I think who introduced me to stop action animation he was like we would like make little videos of G.I. Joe's riding around in shoes Oh, that's uh, cool. Yeah. What's no. that babysitter doing now? Right? Yeah. <laughs> where are you? I know where his sister is. She was our babysitter, too. She's over in London. I saw her not that long ago. But, yeah, so we took apart the phone. My parents were like, okay, this kid's got a problem. Let's just, like, let him take home one thing from the dump every time we go to the dump. So I would paw through the electronics pile and bring home something to take apart. Was that because you would have to go to the dump because there wasn't, like, garbage pickup? Yeah, so yeah, things off. yeah, and the dump was yeah a couple miles away. Because some people have garbage. I mean, a lot of people have garbage pickup, so they right, might just be put wondering it on the curb. Like, why did Matt's parents go to the dump once a week? Oh yeah, no, you just yeah. had to. Yeah, like all yeah. the stuff went to the garage, and then you go to the dump, and it's like a scrap yard where they also have a compactor and all that stuff. Speedy was the the dump guy. He had a one eye, and he was a character. He he could talk your ear off. He sounds like a dump guy. Yo, yeah, the quintessential. He probably made like six figures. <laughs> yeah. you think? All that copper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally, all that copper. Yeah. Finding like Monet's accidentally being thrown away. Um, so your fascination with garbage uh, and tinkering, where do you think that, well, I guess like mainly tinkering, where do you think mm. that came from? Um, was anyone else in your family kind of interested in taking things apart like that? I mean, there we had a sort of messy workshop out in the garage. My dad's dad was a tool maker, and so there was a lot of sort of tool making things and little organizational like cabinets full of, you know, this shaped screw, this shaped bolt. He was sharpened scissors and sharpened razor blades, and so there was all this interesting stuff around. Um, neither of my, my mom was crafty for sure, and she was, you know, teaching us through that sort of formative elementary school time. And so she was always not only encouraging our creativeness, but leading by example and being creative. And I'm sure a lot of that came from her. And then also, you know, we would just get let outside for, you know, quote unquote recess. And you just like go in the woods and do whatever. And so I 
was always drawn to sort of just like making little, you know, we would make little fairy houses out in the woods. And, you know, there's something really satisfying about making something that's convincing with your hands, you know, like Mm -hmm. whatever it is, I'm convinced that you're a fairy house. I'm convinced that you're really a violin, even though you're just a stick with a can and a, you know, guitar string on it or whatever it is. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like your mom really fostered your imagination. Yeah. She was, she was great. You know, like, yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Um, what kind of kid were you uh, when you were in high school? Was that still, were you still being homeschooled at that time? No, we went back to public school in seventh grade because it was one of these sort of regional seven through 12 high schools. So mm. everyone from the surrounding dozen or so towns would all sort of go into one big pen. Yeah. Was that like a culture <laughs> shock for you to get back yeah, into it? Yeah, I got sick all the time. I like didn't know how to be around people right, for that extended you, amount of time. Because your antibodies were all messed up. Yeah, I was just hanging out with like three people. <laughs> right. you know? I mean, we would go in, like I said, we would go in for music and sports and stuff, but you know, those were like an hour or two at a time right. where you'd be with other people. So right. it was totally different to spend you know, a seven-hour day or however long the school day was totally. you know, around a bunch of people. So it was a bit of a shock. The first year back was not cool, and the second year back was okay. And then I sort of learned how to be, I was always a pretty quiet kid, shy, introverted, curious, but not quite sure how to get along. And so after a year of just who knows what, the the year after that was pretty good. I sort of learned how to be a little bit more outgoing and affable and get alongable. Did you um, intentionally try to work on that, or did it just come naturally? No, I had to work on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was hard. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. I had to, like an introvert who had to learn how to be an extrovert, basically. Right. And that's still sort of like a duality that I, I wouldn't say struggle with, but I probably would. Isn't it funny how so many musicians are like introverts? Yeah. Yeah, you're like you learn all this stuff from keeping from being inside yourself and and soaking things in and learning from observation, and you, then you have all this stuff you think you think, oh, I think I should share it, you know, like what's the best way to share this, you know? Okay, I'm try and write a song and like say it's about how I feel, and then you do it, and it's terrifying. Yeah, it's like the yeah the scariest thing, and then eventually you figure out how to work how to talk to people. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. That was a whole other struggle that came way later when it came yeah, to writing Yeah, that sounds like a little complicated and... for a, a 14-year-old. Yeah, yeah. The 14-year-old <laughs> was just like, you know, played it off with some sort of, you know, BS bluster probably. Yeah. I don't remember. Um, and then sports. What kind of sports Yeah, I was a playing? sport. I was a track and soccer kid. Um, a little bit of basketball, but never really seriously. But track was like, I got really into track. I was like... The long jump and the triple jump. I was a state champion for a few years. Whoa! Uh-huh. I'm sitting in the same room with a state champion. A state champion. Yeah, I know. Wow. I know. Held that. It's you know someone broke the record now, but I had the record for a good five or six years there. Wow, that's yeah. impressive. Yeah, long and triple. Are you still a runner? No, I'm. Not, I was never much of a runner because it's it hurts. I just I like to bounce around and run like little distances, but oh. not like. I can't strap on the shoes and do, like, an hour of running or, you know. Maybe I'll come around. Give me a ball. Yeah, exactly. Give me a ball. I'll chase the ball for hours. But tell me to just run. Like a golden retriever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I need, like, small goals. Um, You taught yourself throat singing. Yeah. Can you explain how? Yeah, so the full story is that I, when I I was in college, I took a South Indian cooking class. And in that class. As one does. Right, to try to become a better human. um, It didn't work. I burned the rice Ooh. in the final. It was 
imagine like yellow rice that it, the whole thing tastes like an ashtray. I just, there's a lot of sorries that day. I was just like, oh, sorry guys. I'm like, so this was supposed to like show off your sauce and it's not gonna. <laughs> so anyway, in this class, I learned some words that have what linguists call retroflex syllables. So if you say the letter R or D with the tip of your tongue on the roof of your mouth, er, there's some words that have that. Then I was driving in the car, uh, trying out new mouth shapes while singing and sort of stumbled across this really faint overtone that seemed to be happening when I was making this shape. Chased it in the car for probably five or six years before I actually started applying it to any sort of songwriting. And the basic idea is the note you're humming gets broken up into the harmonic sequence and so you get this set pattern of overtones that are the same relative to the note that you're humming. I sort of liken it to the sonic equivalent of light through a prism, you know, white light being the note you're humming, the rainbow being all those different notes that you get over the top of it. Um, And then I found this junky old guitar that sounded weirder than the overtone singing and it sort of masked the the, the part of it that made me feel uncomfortable because when I first started trying to do it, it was like, ooh, this sounds... Bad. It's like hard enough to just sing in front of people. To then sing in what ostensibly is like a, just an annoying sound. It's hard to work <laughs> to make that work. So, but you know, over the years, getting control over it, knowing how to, you know, and I'm still learning. I can't say, you know, and that's a great thing about music in general, I guess, is that as you keep doing it, you keep growing, and there's no top, you know, there's no end to it. I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah, bring this. it on. Um, I would imagine that, like, throat singing, you're like, look at me, I can throat, well, th- for me, not for you. Like, sure, sure. Like, look at me, I can throat sing. Like, look at me, I can make my tongue look like a bow tie. And then, yeah. like, that's all you can do with it. But it seems as though you're using the throat singing to um, try to try to get different types of a- aesthetics in there. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that correct? Yeah, like the... There's that pitfall with any kind of project like this where it's like one person making a bunch of sounds. And when you, yeah, when you do the overtone thing, it's almost, I used to make a joke about it. Like, I would, well, I would, you know, the reason I learned overtone singing is because I would do anything to not play the harmonica. Because it basically fits that part of the sound in the band, you know? Oh, yeah. It's like, it's basically a harmonica without a harmonica. It fits that sort of high register, a little bit of a solo instrument. You can add it as a texture here and there. I don't make that joke too much because I actually don't mind the harmonica, and I feel like I might be offending people. Some people hate it, though. There are definitely, I mean, there's some Bob Dylan tunes where I'm just like, jeez, you really have to suck on it that hard right now, Bob? Come on. Yeah, it's like really good up and you know, yeah, especially being in the car. It's a good song. <laughs> yeah, being in the car, there's some of those frequencies that jump out more than yeah. other places, but um, I mean, you definitely hear it. Oh yeah. It's loud. Yeah. But yeah, the the overtone, I try not to make it this anything separate from what's already happening. You know, it's not like yeah, you're, you're Thanks for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah like, no, I like the, I think the harmonica comparison is, is a good one. You yeah. know, it kind of like makes, makes a lot of sense, like what you're doing with it that way. Um, tell me the story about your guitar. Oh, yeah. Well, it was in the dumpster at my alma mater, Hampshire College. And it was, I was already, had been out of there a couple of years. And I was, you know, every spring when all the students graduate, all the people have to fly somewhere 
if you need a new fan, new speakers, new stereo components, new bike. I mean, there's like people leave all kinds of crazy stuff behind. So someone left this guitar. It was filled with mold. So I cleaned the mold out. It was missing a couple pieces. The the saddle. I I put a uh, a finish nail in for the saddle on top of the bridge down in the body, and then the nut was missing. I got a piece of just like square stock, maybe quarter inch steel that I filed some grooves into for the nut up top and strung it up and, you know, it sounded so bad in standard tuning that I just sort of like swam it around for a while and tried different tunings and sort of around open D, open C is where it sounded the best. And so for a bunch of years, I would just let the guitar sort of tell me where it wanted to be tuned, which would change based on the humidity because well, before I was using amps and I was playing acoustic, I was trying to get as much volume out of the thing as I could. And the best way to do that would be to tune the strings to the resonant, sort of the natural resonant cavity of the guitar. But that changed by about a half step sometimes, probably a little less, you know, a few quarter tones, depending on the humidity and the temperature and stuff like that. And so... You're a slave to your guitar. Yeah, so I was, I mean, I, it was almost like this weird kind of worship where, you know, like when it came to tune it, it was like... You know, you'd strum it, it would go vroom, and then the body of the guitar would sort of do this extra vroom. So it was almost like you hit it once and it hits twice. You know, you wow. play it and it gets a little louder. But a couple of years ago, I added a keyboard to the band. So we've normalized the situation and we stick it, we stick around C these days. And it's Does working the okay. Behave? Well, yeah, but, but back in the day, if you didn't have it where it wanted to be, I swear that it would break strings. It would wow. sort of have get an attitude about it. So that makes me even want to ask you this question even more. Like, do you wonder where that guitar came from? Who had it before you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And actually, not that long ago, someone claimed to know because, you know, it's a small area and I'm there a lot, you know. So right. <laughs> it was a friend's, a friend's girlfriend's friend, I think, was like... <laughs> Of course you know, it is. One of those. Friends, girlfriends, friends, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Wow. So and it was like, that was my guitar. <laughs> yeah. like, okay, sure it was. Maybe it was. I don't know. But it's given me so many good songs that, you know, I'll have people ask me, not infrequently, like, oh, when are you going to get a real guitar? You know, it's like, I have a real guitar, you know. I don't, Back off. Yeah, right? <laughs> I know this one's a little junky, but it really, you know, it's given me so much, you know. How can I, how can I cut it loose? You know. I'm just imagining you just being like, oh, I know this one's a little junky and just sort of like crossing your legs and like yeah. stroking your beard and like just sitting back in your armchair. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I'll armchair it's you. It's like a wise, yeah. It's a wise old soul. Well, there's something about... So there's just a little bit of life left in all yet. Exactly. And if you, if you have an instrument that can do everything, it's almost too much. What do you can what, if you could do everything on it? What are you gonna do? Your choices are all of a sudden overwhelming. What are you gonna do? Watch TV? Go outside and make your own TV. <laughs> that's right. It's your attitude. This this guitar's got like three tricks, and that's all it can do. So how many ways can you you know combine those three tricks into oh hundred songs? How are you in an escape room? Have you ever been in one of those? I don't think I would like it. You don't think you? I don't be think really I like good? the concept. If I understand it correctly, you get locked in a room. Yeah, but you have to figure out puzzles and stuff. Mm. I guess you're, it's not really tinkering. It's more like like brain teasers. Oh, like riddles? Yeah, riddles and oh, stuff. Oh, I don't know. All right, we've gone into a terrible territory. Let's go I'm back curious. to trash. Wait, is this a safe room? 
Are no. We, what do you call it? An escape room? Yeah, and you're getting further <laughs> and further away from getting out. <laughs> what kind of podcast is this? <laughs> uh, let's get back to trash. Yeah. Back on track. Right. Um, on trash. How does your love of trash translate to your life outside of music? Like, what does your house look like? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I do visual art as well, and that's a lot of found object-based stuff, although it's it's been fairly focused on this uh, I did a, a couple of construction projects that left me with a lot of lath um, wood from you know that you put plaster on mm-hmm. and so I've been working with that for years and that's mostly the visual art work these days but there's something just in me that doesn't understand waste like this I like recycling yes I get it we have these objects we have these materials we've figured out ways to reuse them recycle them got it but trash itself just seems unnecessary or you know I can't wrap my mind around it so there's like a bit of a there's an ethos to it it's like well before you throw that away like just think about it you know take a minute consider it if you go into my van like the passenger sort of foot area is always filled with trash and part of that's because I'm a lazy person and the other part of that (laughs) is because I have to deal with it, you know, like look at how much, look at what you're doing. And, you know, I consider myself a fairly responsible environmentalist. You know, I'm trying to reduce my impact on the globe because I'm a, I love animals. Like I don't, and there's just too many humans, you know. So it it helps me to look at the trash I'm creating, even if I'm not going to then turn something something beautiful out of it or you know um did i go off track no (laughs) no i think yeah no Um, that's great that's a great answer yeah there's never gonna throw anything away anymore i i i mean and if you have a great transfer station as we call it a great (laughs) dump to go to because i'm in the same boat now there's no pickup and so you have to really look at everything you go through and, and and be like, yeah, I I did that. Yeah, I don't. And there's only so many things you can do with with objects, but I also just love I love stories, and so I love the story of an object. That's I, I guess it's the reason antiques are interesting, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's like you look at something and, and it insinuates a story to you. It says, you know, I'm old enough that people that you could never have met because they weren't alive or like using me in this really specific way and I had this life and I love that idea like imagining these objects moving through the world you know independent of humans you know these sort of like things moving around Um, that sort of idea is what led to a lot of the album artwork too these sort of Mm. objects with wings you know this idea that like you know if you just put a picture of a hammer say it's a hammer but if you put like legs or wings on it then it has a life and therefore a story and so when it comes to objects these days because I still I can't keep myself out of junk stores you know and and when something speaks to me I still grab it but it has it's usually has more to do with some weird whatever x factor you know Mm -hmm. In the object that it's like, oh well, I didn't. The Simon Cowell X Factor. Yeah, exactly. Almost, can't, almost it's exactly. Not tangible. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> My gosh, I can't wait for the reality TV show where you're judging trash. Oh wow! 
I was just wondering how I could cash in on some of that. How you monetize TV. your love of trash. You know, how do I get... Yeah, right. <laughs> the opening would be like, this young man never watched TV when he was young. His mother told him to go outside. <laughs> Matt Lorenz is here to judge of trash, ladies and gentlemen. Which just doesn't speak to me. <laughs> you know? And I needed one of those awful catchphrases. That would be it. Like, yeah. The doesn't trash, speak to me. The trash doesn't speak to me. Yeah. Um, Back to the scrapyard. What is the most stirring piece of trash you have ever found? Oh, wow. Oh, ooh, stirring piece. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I want to say... There's got to be like a highlight reel or something. Yeah, okay. No, no. There was this one um, when I came back from traveling in my early 20s and I, and I found a house to live in. And I lived in this house for almost a decade. It was this big old rambling Big house, little house, back house, barn kind of numbers in Massachusetts, Amherst, Massachusetts. Great landlord, really low rent, a bunch of creatives all living together trying to, you know, make it Typical happen. Western mass. It was heaven. Yeah, yeah it was <laughs> great. Everyone's, you know, making art and talking ideas and, you know, making music. And one of the first things I did when I was at that house was, you know, explore the yard. It was on an acre or so, so there was some substantial yard, and I found a brick pile. And... I got really excited, so I started like pulling the bricks out. I'm like, oh, we can make a patio, we can make a walkway, whatever. Look at all, look at all these great bricks. <laughs> and then under the bricks was, it, it was clearly a trash pile from many, many years ago. You know, because this house was built probably in the 1840s or something. So who knows when this trash is from? And I was elated. You know, it was a, I had been sort of a rootless up until this point for you know through college years, you know, bouncing around, you know, doing whatever, traveling, not really having a home. I just dug a hole and kept pulling these amazing pieces of metal out. And they, there was a little lead soldier, there was a lot of broken glass and bottles and like really amazing visual art pieces that I wound up using and assemblage stuff later on. I don't think anything in there that turned into an instrument maybe some sort of like rusty nails went into a shaker or something like that. But there was I, that pile, now that I think about it, when you ask it like that, I think that was maybe the most <laughs> moved I've been because also I thought for a while when I was a little kid that archaeology was where I was, you know, I was going to be digging up some Egyptian tombs. Right. You know, that also makes sense. There was a, um, there's an archaeological dig that we went to when we were homeschooling that was sort of like, you know, they gridded it out and there was mm-hmm. someone running it and they'd give you a little square and you would just collect everything. So it felt like that a little bit. And then again, it was all these, it was this, these insinuations of, of stories. It was like, mm. well, someone who lived right there through all of these things back here. And, you know, that, yeah, That's that was cool. a good pile. Yeah, people used to straight up bury their trash. If you've ever been to... Uh, Paul Revere's house in Boston. Oh, yeah. There's a little display that shows, like, all of the trash that they dug up in the backyard, and it's, like, a lot of, like, broken teacups. Yeah, and those old, like, clay pipes. and Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, So I want to talk about the live music experience for you, Mm. um, which, uh, you know, you're a one-man band. Uh, You're playing these, like, you're visually amazing. You're up on stage, like... (laughs) There's just like no other way to describe it other than just like glorious. You ah, know? It's so it's so fun. You. It's so engaging. The music is incredible. Um, the audience is right there with you. Yeah. Like, what what is your connection to the audience? Like when you are, do you have an intention 
of of like getting them to be with you. Yeah, I mean that's like especially as a solo performer, it's the your entire job is to like make everyone feel things with you, or you know like we're like to take them somewhere, you know, or or I was just at a venue recently and the the guy who runs it said something that really stuck. Did it stick? <laughs> it struck me. It didn't stick, apparently. But it was something along the lines of, like, when you play a song, you're essentially casting a spell. Wow. And then what you, uh, when your cat, once the spell is cast and you're done doing it, you have a, a certain responsibility to help people out of it, you know? Mm. So what you say in between songs or the song you play next and those pauses, like, it, it's all very important. And it's one of the things I think that's changed the most for me over the years is, you know, performing live wasn't always the easiest, you know, especially as, you know, we talked earlier, it's about, you know, a sort of shy person initially figuring out really how to be comfortable. And especially as someone trying to, like, write about emotions or not even about emotions, but just the fact of singing in front of other people is like really revealing in this mm-hmm. way. If you ever, you know, had have sung in front of people, you feel more raw than I think any other time. It's like you're showing a part of yourself that no one gets to see usually. Mm. And so that opening up can be really scary. And then in the early days, my reaction to that was not always positive in terms of the way I interacted, you know, whatever. If I wasn't getting the reaction I thought I needed or something like that. Mm. And so nowadays it's like I've settled into it a little more and I've learned how to, I've remembered the humorous stories that I can tell, you know, where they're not as, you know, in the early days you'd be improvising it and be like, ooh, that was good. I hope I remember what I just said so I can say it again. Um, And it's all towards getting everyone on the same page, you know. Because especially as a solo performer, you don't have another person to lean on musically. And so all of the energy that's being generated is between you and the audience. And so even something as simple as having an audience facing you, even if they're seated, but, you know, as opposed to, say, a dinner theater type setting where people are facing each other, like you can feel that difference. Mm. I'm convinced that the, oh, yeah. the flow of energy is a forward thing. It's an active thing. Getting audiences that, to realize that they are a very active part of the show mm-hmm. is a big thing. Mm-hmm. You know? So I'll get people to sing with me, not only to make the song sound pro- like right, you know, because <laughs> like, I want to hear more voices on this and you're going to you know work for me now, but to get everyone in feeling and emoting and giving energy back. And it's just this, when in the best moments, there's those magical moments where Everyone feels it. And it doesn't happen every show. You can do, you could do the same exact show back to back with in different rooms. Oh, that isn't that funny? And it's totally different. You're like what the heck? Yeah, it's it's fascinating. You know, and it's so, like the Facebook algorithm. Like, right. What is it? <laughs> right. <laughs> What's right. it going to be for you people tonight? Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's so I love it. You know, it, do you it ever can, do you ever feel like just coming on stage and being like, what do you what do you guys what kind of show are you feeling like tonight? Like. What can I do to, to make you, to draw you in? Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I've i sort of settled into playing almost every time. I don't think I did it tonight, but I was pretty close to it. 
I'll play three songs, the same three songs as the first songs for most sets. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've, over the years, figured out they're a sort of litmus test. Um, the first one is, you know, one of these is the one where I sing into the guitar, and then it's this sort of, uh, you know, so it's sort of spooky, sympathetic resonance. People, it sort of draws people in a little bit. They're like, wait, what's happening? I thought I knew what guitars did. He's like singing into it. And it's just a, you know, sympathetic <laughs> resonance thing. You sing yeah. the note the string is tuned to. I don't and it's know what that sort means, like, but it sounds good. Well, it's like, you, you, if you, you know, if this, this there's a C, a, tu- uh, a, a string that's tuned to C, okay. and you sing a C, it, re- it resonates, it buzzes. Oh, like it's sympathetic. Sort of sympathetic. Like it's like, oh, you're trying. It's like, I'm you're gonna... doing something, I'll do the something. I will, you know, yeah. <laughs> you should call it the flirtatious resonance. Yeah, right. <laughs> the saucy string. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'll do that, and then I'll do one that has a little of the overtone that's like, uh, you know, got some thoughtful lyrics in it, and then I'll do a, like a blues song. And then after that, I'll, I'll judge the reaction to each of those tunes and sort of That's proceed in yeah. uh, in an appropriate manner, right. hopefully. You I'll show them all three suitcase junkets. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. Well, I guess that maybe there's another one where, you know, like one of the finger-picking sort of sweet songs that I'll, you know, put in there. But usually you can, you can feel if they want that after those first three. You know, yeah. sort of like, what, yeah. what are you ready for now? And so <laughs> that's like been, I mean, it's, it's the largest factor you know, in the, the, that changes. I noticed you were on Chris Smithers' last record. Oh, yeah. That came out. And were you on also the one before that you have? How many Chris Smithers records have you been on? I guess two. Rusty Bell went down and played on the um, Still on the Levy oh, that's cool. retrospective. It was so awesome. It was. Yeah. 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 He flew us down to New Orleans. We, we you know, we showed up. That's we did a hard like gig. A whole. It was. It's it was just madhouse. Very difficult. Uh, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Our life is no so fun. hard. <laughs> it was one of these crazy ones. Actually, it was like we played. This is years and years ago. We played a wedding, I think, or some like private party up in Vermont. After after that, we drove straight to Boston. Got to the airport at like four in the morning. Got on a six o'clock flight. Got into New Orleans at ten a.m. Had some coffee and bagels session from 10 until Jeez. 10 at night and then you were at your best and I then bet. yeah and then yeah and like got on a plane at 2 a.m or something so we had somewhere else to go it was really amazing it was an honor to play on the session and um and then on this last one i think goody the producer was you know was asking chris you know like well what do you want to do you know like well who's you know who do you feel like you know, we've got all these songs sorted together. You know, it's going to be me and Billy Conway from Morphine, from Morphine and, mm-hmm. and Goody, who's been playing on and producing his stuff for Goody, years. Goody, David Goodrich. Yeah, David yeah. Goodrich. And uh, and Smither said, let's get Matt Lorenz in there. You let's know? get that guy that plays the trash. <laughs> yeah, because I've been, like, opening some shows for him. And, and um, you know, I don't know. I was I was really honored and surprised, quite honestly, because yeah. I was like, what, what, but what am I going to do? You know, <laughs> like, what? I don't, you know, there's a drummer, there's like a great guitar player, there's Smither, who, you know, is kind of an he's icon, okay at guitar, you know, dude, yeah, yeah. he's like, it's not bad. he's like singular on yeah. guitar, you know, he's like the only person who does that. I mean, that. he's got like a style, it's like him. a Chris Smither style, yeah, unmistakably. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I brought a few things, I brought a, a violin, I wound up playing a lot of like rhythm fiddle stuff and singing harmony, a little piano, a little guitar, and I just sort of... 
I mean, I love being in the studio and hanging mm-hmm. out with those guys is really fun because they're really sweet individuals and the songs were yeah, amazing. Yeah. So I just tried to fit in as best I could and, you know, add to the, the tracks. And we, we had a blast. It was, it was really fun. magical. Yeah. So were you playing real instruments? Yeah, I was just doing regular instruments. I didn't yeah. bring any garbage. I think the closest thing I added, like a, um, a horseshoe there was like a horseshoe pit outside, and there was this one song that I thought really needed this. Bing! And so I think that's <laughs> about as, as junky as it got. Yeah, I smacked it with like a, uh, I don't know what it was. It was like a little fire poker or something. So how does it feel to you to play non-garbage instruments versus garbage instruments? I mean, to me, it's all music, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's all music. And so the reason I'm drawn... One of the reasons, you know, aside from sort of the ethos of it that I'm drawn to garbage is is honestly the tone of it. You know, I just like the way it sounds, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I know what a I know what a tom sounds like. It's like what a, I can get a tom sound out of that and it has an extra something to it. And you're sort of like, well that's sort of a tom, but it's a little different. You know, like when you listen to to the suitcase junk, it, it more or less sounds like a regular band, but the tones are unique in a way that doesn't necessarily say garbage. Maybe it does. <laughs> These <laughs> tones don't say garbage. <laughs> they just are. <laughs> so, you know, it's, you know, it feels, you know, sometimes the, the instruments that I build out of garbage are, uh, have a, are a little bit rougher to play, say. Like they take a little bit of a heavier touch to make sound good. Yeah. You know, you need to, but... But for me, that's always been, you know, one of these people who was lucky enough to sort of, from a, a pretty young age, I know more or less how to get music out of things. Mm. You know, if you give me an instrument, I can pretty much make it sound okay, and mm. and I'm, you know, curious and and like exploring in that way. So, you know, whether it's a, you know, a broom handle fiddle or a, you know. Well, I've never played a really nice violin, but you know, <laughs> I played my great grandfather's violin actually. Oh, nice! Yep, pulled it out of the attic. It was uh, uh, but, a but treasure. Know, yeah, between those two, it's like well, you're still playing music, and so you know, emotionally, it's the same to me. You know, but it, except that sometimes another thing about about the trash is sometimes you just get you get a tone that will move it moves me a little bit more maybe than a traditional thing and i think yeah. part of that has to do with the fact that i brought it into being from some other thing you know like giving it life for in some yeah. way or actually just like it has a tone that does something extra i don't know right there's definitely a duality to yeah, to what you're doing yeah yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and also to everything <laughs> Cool. Didn't mean to zoom out so good. <laughs> Whoa. Back to the trash. Um, Matt Lorenz, this has been great. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate cool. it. Yeah, all right. Uh, that's it for Basic Folk. I loved talking to Matt Lorenz. Uh, I remembered, I just like laughed for days and days and days after uh, after you know we had the conversation and you know keep thinking of like funny things that would have been funny to talk about but regardless i hope you enjoyed that i sure did uh check them out suitcase junket go see a show buy a record stream watch online like whatever you want to do he's he's worth your time uh live and on record 
Thanks again to uh, Janelle Gutierrez, who helped design my web. Actually, she designed my website, which you can find at cindyhouse.net. There's all sorts of wonderful information about me, and uh, there's a blog, and there's information about this podcast, which I produced. And I want to thank Alexander Stanton from the band Townspeople for doing our music. And thank you for listening to Basic Folk. We'll be back again. Bye.